Hello, and welcome to the Restory Care Editor's Commentary and Podcast for January of 2024. This is Rich Branson. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. This month's Editor's Choice is a comparison of fixed oxygen flow, high-flow nasal cannula, and automated oxygen titration in subjects with chronic respiratory disease during exercise. Fazina and colleagues use each method in a randomized fashion in 10 subjects, with the main outcome the end-exercise Borg score. Secondary outcomes included endurance time, dyspnea, and oxygenation status during exercise. They found that automated O2 titration was superior to fixed flow in alleviating dyspnea and improving exercise and endurance in subjects with chronic respiratory diseases. High-flow nasal cannula added to automated O2 titration had no impact. Hill et al. provide commentary noting that while dyspnea was not reduced by automated O2 titration, time of endurance shuttle walk tests increased by greater than 50%. They suggest future research should focus on the mechanisms which confer a benefit and improve portability of the device. One of the concerns of devices that do automated O2 titration based on pulse oximetry is whether patients will actually wear a digital sensor or an ear sensor and what wearables can be used in the future to make sure they tolerate the monitoring. Harbrecht and others performed a retrospective review of unplanned extubations and trauma subjects. Prospective tracking of unplanned extubations was accomplished as part of a quality initiative. They found that subjects with unplanned extubations were more frequently male, younger, and had longer hospital and ICU lengths of stay. Factors contributing to unplanned extubations included patient, mechanical, and provider etiologies. They reported that unplanned extubations were decreased with education and tracking of events and that self-extubation was associated with fewer negative outcomes than unplanned extubations from catching the circuit on the side of the bed rail um, or other patient-related factors. Baker and Lentz discussed the importance of preventing unplanned extubations and provide an overview of methods for reporting outcomes of quality initiatives in an accompanying editorial. They agree with Harbrecht that real-time up-to-date reporting employing a combination of statistical process control charts, timely review, and feedback can reduce unplanned extubation rates. Carnero and Chatburn describe a bench study of the automatic apnea time adjustments using auto mode at a wide variety of set respiratory rates. They observed apnea times between 3 and 12 seconds depending on the mandatory breath rate and spontaneous breath count. These values were within 2% of expected values. They also found that auto mode allowed a spontaneous breath rate lower than expected. Letourneau and Ockler provide an accompanying editorial noting that the increased sophistication of ventilators and the use of closed-loop control increases the importance of understanding the operation of ventilators used at the bedside. This, of course, also highlights the importance of the respiratory therapists at the bedside, our understanding of how ventilators work, and how they interface with patients. Tanopoulos and colleagues studied the impact of high-frequency chest wall oscillation on mechanical ventilation in a lung model. Invasive ventilation was delivered to a mannequin. High-frequency chest wall oscillation resulted in false triggering of the ventilator and up to a seven-fold increase in respiratory rate. These changes also resulted in a flow bias that was associated with caudal movement of airway secretions. As high-frequency chest wall oscillation has no evidence for use in invasively ventilated patients, these untoward effects suggest that this technique only be used in a research setting. Wang and others compared inspiratory muscle training to usual care in subjects undergoing thoracoscopic lobectomy for lung cancer. 
Subjects received a progressive inspiratory muscle training, had increased lung volumes at one month postoperatively, shorter hospital length of stay, and quicker removal of chest strains. However, there were no differences in postoperative atelectasis or pneumonia. Halesh et al. performed a retrospective study of subjects with COVID-19 and ARDS to determine reintubation rates and the factors associated with reintubation. In a single study of 114 subjects, the reintubation rate was 32%. They found that higher doses of midazolam, fentanyl, and higher Apache 2 scores were independently associated with reintubation, while advanced age, male sex, and subjects with delirium were independently associated with mortality. Berlinski and Willis performed a bench study of aerosolized drug delivery during intrapulmonary percussive ventilation combined with invasive ventilation. They varied test lung compliance, breath type, endotracheal tube size, and IPV settings. Albuterol delivery was measured by collecting gas at the tip of the endotracheal tube and quantified by spectrophotometry. The main contributions to albuterol delivery were the duration of adapter opening and the IPV settings. They concluded that delivery of aerosolized medications is inefficient and should not be relied upon while using IPV. So if you feel the need to use IPV and you need to deliver an aerosolized medication, you should do it with a separate nebulizer. Georgia et al. performed a prospective study in subject with stable obesity hypoventilation syndrome treated with nocturnal non-invasive ventilation. They measured diurnal oximetry, capnography, arterial blood gases, and transcutaneous PCO2 in 32 subjects to evaluate residual hypoventilation. In 19 subjects with normal blood gases and oximetry, 11 demonstrated elevated transcutaneous CO2. They suggest that continuous CO2 monitoring improved detection of residual hypoventilation compared to oximetry and blood gases. Of course, blood gases are just one-time measurements and oximetry is not an effective way to determine ventilation um, changes. Liu and others performed a retrospective study of outcomes comparing early and late tracheostomy. Early tracheostomy was defined as before day seven and late tracheostomy as after day seven. They included 175 subjects requiring tracheostomy over a seven year period. One-to-one -one propensity score matching was used to correct the baseline characteristics between the early and late tracheostomy groups. The primary outcome was the incidence of ventilator associated pneumonia between groups. Compared with late tracheostomy, the incidence of ventilator-associated pneumonia and hospital length of stay were, were reduced while sedation-free days, ventilator-free days, and ICU-free days were increased in the early tracheostomy group. Miller and colleagues performed a retrospective study of non-invasive respiratory support in pediatric ICU subjects weighing less than 10 kilograms. They a priori defined support as planned or rescue therapy. In 51 subjects, non-invasive ventilation was used in 61% and CPAP in 39% of subjects. Planned post-extubation support was provided in half of subjects. Reintubation rates were higher in the rescue group, those with acidemia, higher FiO2 requirements, elevated ventilator settings, and lower somatic near-infrared spectroscopy. Lambrinos and others studied the impact of an online education course regarding mechanical insufflation, exufflation on caregiver confidence and competence. The educational material reviewed theoretical and practical components and was designed to take six hours to complete. Physiotherapists were randomized to either the intervention group who had access to the education or the control group who received no education. They administered baseline and post-intervention questionnaires using visual analog scales 
with the primary outcomes being confidence in the prescription and confidence in the application of mechanical insufflation exufflation. The intervention group had a significant improvement in the visual analog score after the education period. They concluded that access to an evidence-based online education course improved confidence in the prescription and application of MIE. This was done outside of the United States with physiotherapists where a lot of times they have to provide the prescription after they've been consulted by a physician. Milano, Franco, and others performed a prospective cohort study of subjects with COVID-19 and ARDS receiving high flow nasal cannula in hospitals at altitude, city greater than 8,500 feet, so more than a mile. High flow nasal cannula settings and gas exchange were evaluated across the course of treatment. They determined that a ROCS index of greater than 4.88 predicted high flow nasal cannula failure at altitude. Elevated FiO2 at admission, in this case greater than 80%, was also associated with the need for intubation. They recommended modification of the ROC score for high altitude environments. Lopes de Novis and colleagues provide a short report on the use of electrical impedance stenography to compare PEEP titration methods in subjects with COVID-19 and ARDS. EIT seems to be a, a great tool for monitoring the distribution of ventilation and it's only new to the United States and I'm anxious to see more work on this monitoring technique to see how it can improve care of patients with ARDS. Lelouchadel provides a short report on the impact of oximeter brand on SpO2 targets and oxygen flow requirements. They found that the individual brands of oximeters have biases that are equivalent in size to those caused by skin pigment and can significantly increase oxygen delivery to maintain the same SpO2 target. Freitas Dos Santos et al. provide a systematic review on the self-management interventions in subjects with interstitial lung disease. We also continue our symposium, Research and Publication in Respiratory Care, with articles by Cower and Lee on how to conduct a randomized controlled trial and a paper by Miller on moving from abstract to manuscript. We appreciate you listening to the Respiratory Care podcast and look forward to a successful 2024 and we hope to see your submissions for publication in the near future. We appreciate your time and attention. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.